text for this morning's sermon is taken from several passages in Proverbs, namely Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 to 10, 11, verse 1, 11, verse 24 and 25, and chapter 22, verse 10. We'll start with Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We'll jump over to chapter 11. Proverbs 11 verses 1 reads as follows, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Further in the same chapter, verses 24 and 25, the word of the Lord reads, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And then our last uh, text is from chapter 23 of Proverbs. boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless for their defender is strong and he will take up the fleece so far the reading the sermon for this morning was prepared by Reverend Dirk Poppy minister of the currently the minister of the Free Reformed Church of Southern River, Australia. This sermon was delivered when he wrote it uh, to the church of Hodel. After the reading of this sermon, we'll respond with the singing of Psalm 41, stanza 1. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, In the book of Proverbs, the Lord gives us wisdom about how to practically live a godly and blessed life before him. Today, we are going to consider how to be wise in the ways that we earn and handle our money. Now, in order to get some perspective on how we handle our money, we need to remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to remember that the Lord is our father. He is concerned about us as a father is concerned about his son. He has promised in his word to take care of us and to give us everything we will ever need, not only from a spiritual perspective, but also for our normal, everyday lives. When Christ was on earth, he also encouraged us to call this to mind on a regular basis when he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Every day the Lord wants us to live in quiet dependence upon him. He also calls us to show that dependence in the way we handle our financial affairs. I preach God's word to you under the following theme. 
The Lord calls us to be wise in the way that we handle our financial affairs. We will see how to be wise in acquiring money and secondly, how to be wise in handling money. So firstly, how to be wise in acquiring money. Now, if we forget that the Lord is God and look at this world from purely a human perspective, then it's easy to be tempted to sin in the way that we try to get money. Sometimes we forget that God is a father who has promised to care for us. We forget God's promise that all we need to do is seek, knock, or ask him for whatever we need, and like a good father, he will give it to us. We forget that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of our heavenly father. And instead we think that we need to take care of ourselves. And then we fall into that line of thinking. And when we fall into that line of thinking, it's easy to be tempted to try to get wealth by being dishonest. We can be tempted to cheat or steal or cut corners. In Proverbs, Solomon warns his son against this. His recurrent theme throughout this book is this. You need to remember that the Lord is God, son. You need to fear him. In Proverbs 11, verse 1, he applies this to buying and selling things. Solomon says, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. If you are selling things and the weight you use to measure how much the other person is to receive is less than it should be, then you're stealing from that person. It's as if you go to the grocery grocery store, but that the scale at the till is off, and you end up paying for two kilograms of apples, and you only get one and a half. The Lord is not just mildly indifferent or displeased about this kind of behavior. It's deeply offensive to God. Solomon uses strong language to denounce this kind of behavior. He says the Lord abhors this kind of thing. Now this word for abhor is a word that God uses to describe things he detests and finds an abomination. It's the same word to condemn improper sacrifices in Exodus 8, gross sexual perversion in Leviticus 18, and idolatry in Deuteronomy 7. Those who are deceitful in their financial dealings are offensive to God and will incur his wrath. And then in the last part of this verse, God addresses the matter from a positive perspective. Accurate weights are his delight. If you have integrity in your financial dealings, this is something that pleases the Lord. In fact, in a parallel proverb, in Proverbs 16, verse 11, Solomon tells us that honest scales and balances are from the Lord. The Lord is the source of honesty and integrity in the marketplace. No wonder it pleases him when we conduct ourselves with integrity. Now you will understand that this principle of having integrity in our financial dealings does not only apply to buying and selling, but of course to all our financial dealings. There are a multitude of ways in which we can be dishonest, and they are all wicked before God. And the point that comes back time and again in Proverbs is that God will bring down on the people the consequence of this type of sin. Back in chapter 1, Solomon warns his son against outright theft and robbery. He tells his son not to go along with the evil men who want to waylay some harmless soul and steal his goods. He tells us how God will punish these people. In the end, they waylay only themselves and it will cost them their own lives. 
Another temptation we may face is to exploit those who have no way to defend themselves. We read, we read about that in Proverbs 23, verse 10. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. In ancient Israel, the way to tell where your field ended and where your neighbors began was often done by a large rock or another landmark. God warns here against ever moving such a stone, especially if the person has no way of defending themselves against you. In that case, God says, he will take up their case. Our Father cares deeply for the poor and the needy, and he will take it upon himself to defend them if anyone takes advantage against them. We read a similar message in Proverbs 22, verse 22, which reads, Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. The natural inclination is that if you have dealings with someone who is really wealthy, you take very good care of them. You know that if things don't go well, they won't ever deal with you again, or they may even take you to court. But you might not have the same diligence with those who are poor. It can be easy to brush off the concern of the poor or even take advantage of them because they have no chance at recourse. But God will not idly stand by and let anyone get away with theft and exploitation. The time will come when he will act on their behalf and punish those who have oppressed them. If you want a, a real-life example of that, think about what happened to King Ahab. The story in 1 Kings 21 tells us that sometime after he killed Naboth and stole his vineyard, God put him in a battle where an archer shot a random arrow that hit Ahab between the armor and killed him. It seemed random, but in reality it was directed from God. The Lord took up the, cause, the case of the poor man and put this wicked king to death. Now on the whole, these are not new ideas for us, us, brothers and sisters. You have heard all this before. The problem is that even though we know better, we sometimes fall into these traps. We forget about the Lord's promises to us. We want more, and we want it now. And so, we bend the rules a little, cut some corners. We tell little lies to our own advantage. We neglect to mention a small defect in something we might be selling. We don't respect the copyright laws of the land. We claim hours that we haven't worked on our timesheets. Maybe we claim as a business expense those things we, in fact, use for personal use. You know your own heart, brothers and sisters. We must repent of these sins. To repent means to confess these things as sins before God and ask him for his forgiveness. It also means that you turn away from your sins and you set things right in your dealings with others. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to acknowledge your greed before God and the ways that you have been dishonest in your dealings? Will you go home today and name those things before God? Tell him ex explicitly what sins you have been doing and ask him for his forgiveness. Will you show that you trust God to provide for you by making a commitment to putting those sins out of your life? 
It's not easy to do. It takes humility. It takes trust in God's promises. Even more importantly, it takes spiritual renewal. The reality is that we are sinners by nature and we don't have it in us to make all these kinds of changes. The good news is that God has taken it upon himself to help us with that. When our Lord Jesus Christ was on earth, he also was tempted to sin in these ways. When he had been in the desert for 40 days, famished and hungry, the devil tried to get him to take matters into his own hands. Turn these stones into bread. Don't rely on your father to take care of you. You can take care of yourself. Or again, a little later, bow before me and I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. I have a shortcut for you, Jesus. You don't have to take the hard, slow way. How did Christ respond? Of course, Christ rejected this counsel and instead trusted his father to provide for him. He went the slow, hard way of the cross. He did it for us, and he took on the curse that we deserve. God will hear us if we ask him to forgive us for our sinful greed. He will also renew us so that we live differently in the future. In the Old Testament, if you stole from someone, you had to pay back twofold, or if you couldn't give back the exact same thing you had stolen, you had to give back fourfold. This is another important part of our repentance. If you are really sorry for what you have done, then you acknowledge your sin to the other person who you have sinned against, and you set things right. Just think about how this might go today in your life. Imagine you go to someone today and said to him, Listen, some time ago, I was dishonest in my dealings with you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Here is what I owe you, and here is something extra to show you that I am truly sorry and to help me make sure I never do this kind of thing again. Wouldn't that give a sense of freedom from our guilt? Wouldn't it clear your conscience before God? Wouldn't it show the other person that you truly are sorry and clear the air between you and them? If you ask Christ to help you, he will equip you to do that, brothers and sisters. He loves to help us when we look to him in faith. And that leads us to our second point, how to be wise in handling that. The other matter that Solomon often addresses in Proverbs is how we handle the money that we do have. Do you know how to handle your money wisely, brothers and sisters? Do you ever struggle to know what's best? Obviously, there's a lot involved with that. Throughout his word, God addresses this matter at different times and in different ways. In numerous places, he warns us not to become arrogant and not to put our hope in wealth. He talks in 1 Timothy 5 about the importance of taking care of your family, especially if you have a widow in your family. In fact, he even says that if you don't take care of your family, you have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Elsewhere in Proverbs, he tells us that a fool spends all he has, but a wise man has stores of choice wine and oil. If you are wise, you don't always spend all of your money, but you are moderate in your spending, and you can save something for the future. God further emphasizes this virtue by telling us that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And on top of that, God calls us to enjoy the wealth that he has given us. Since everything we have comes from God, we are to receive it with thanksgiving and enjoy it. 
In fact, in Ecclesiastes, we are told that it is a great evil for a man to have wealth, but to be unable to enjoy it. But besides all that, there are several other more foundational priorities God wants us to have with our money. The first and the most important thing God calls us to do is to acknowledge that everything we have comes to us as a gift from him. And the way we are to do that is not only by praying to him and thanking him for his gift, we are also to give back to him part of what he has given to us. Solomon calls us to do this in the text that we read in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The most significant way that God's people can honor him with their wealth is by giving back to him a share of what he has given them. In the Old Testament, God demanded that his people give him a tenth of all he had given them. They called it the tithe. And it wasn't just to be any 10%. God demanded that his people give him the first 10% of all that he entrusted to them. As Solomon says, they were to give the first fruits from all their crops. The Lord talks about that in Deuteronomy 26. There we are told that a man has to take a basket of the first fruits of the soil that God has given him and give it to the priest. The first, the best of the crops belong to the Lord. It is the same for the trees. In Leviticus 19, we are told that when a man planted a tree, he wasn't allowed to harvest any fruit in the first two years. Then in the fourth year, he was allowed to harvest the fruit, but it was consecrated to the Lord. He had to give it all to the priest. And so he was only allowed to eat any of the fruit of his tree in the fifth year. And it was the same for any animal. In Exodus 13, God laid his claim on the firstborn of every man and every animal. The firstborn son was to be redeemed by paying five shekels of silver for him, and the firstborn animal was to either have its neck broken, or some animals could be redeemed by giving another animal in its place. And then if you read over these passages in Exodus 13 or Deuteronomy 26, you see the reason God demanded the very first of the people, animals, crops, or trees, because it's a way in which we can show God that we recognize that everything we have comes from him and belongs to him. In Exodus 13 is the passage that recounts how the Lord had just put to death all the firstborn sons and animals of the Egyptians. The only reason the firstborn of the Israelites and the firstborn of their animals were not put to death is because the blood of the lamb that was on the door frames of their houses. The point is that God had redeemed his people. In order that they might never forget that he had redeemed them and they belonged to him, they were always they were to always redeem their firstborn sons and the firstborn of their animals. If we look back to Deuteronomy 26, we see that the same thing applies to the first fruits of their land. When the Israelites brought the basket with the first fruits of their crops, they were to acknowledge before the priest that the Lord had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and that he had given them this land flowing with milk and honey. Giving the first fruits to the Lord was a way not only for God's people to acknowledge him, that they were entirely dependent upon his goodness, it was actually a sign that he delivered them from bondage as an act of grace. 
Now, if you remember that the Exodus was just a foreshadowing of the far greater redemption that God accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, you will understand why it is extremely important that today we give the Lord the first fruits of what he has given us. He has delivered us from something far more significant than physical slavery in the land of Egypt. He has delivered us from the power of sin, from death, and from the devil. Do you realize that everything you have comes from the Lord? Do you understand that just as he brought the Israelites into a land flowing with milk and honey, he has given you the talents, the education, the jobs, the business, and the money that you have? Do you treasure the grace you receive in Christ so that the sin and the devil don't have power over you and death doesn't have the final say in your life? Do you acknowledge that before the Lord by giving him the first and the best of anything that he gives to you? And then alongside of that, the Lord also teaches us that it is a real priority for him that we learn to be generous in our dealings with others. Our Father tells us repeatedly that he cares deeply about those who are poor and needy. And so it comes as no surprise that he treasures and blesses the man who is kind to the poor. In Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25, God says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The calling here is to give freely, to be generous, and to refresh others. The Lord loves it when his people are generous. That's a part of his character, and he blesses those who imitate him in this. That's actually what he says in Proverbs 19, verse 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Our Father loves it when we are kind to the poor. He himself has a very deep love and concern for those who need his help in special ways. If we show kindness to the poor, he takes note of that, and the day will come when he also rewards us for that. The point is, brothers and sisters, that the two most important things you need to keep in mind in handling your money is that you are to give God the first fruits of what he has given to you, and you are also supposed to be kind to the poor and generous in your dealings with others. Now, when we get to the New Testament era, God no longer demands the tithe of his people. That was part of the Old Testament legislation. But, that being said, he still demands our first fruits. There are several passages in the New Testament when he demands that we give him the first and the best of what he has entrusted to us. 1 Corinthians 16 calls us to set something aside on the first day of the week in keeping with our income. And again, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he addresses the matter more fully. There God encourages us, encourages us in the grace of giving. He reminds us that those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly, and those who sow generously will also reap generously. And then he commands us that each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. So even though God has not commanded us to give a tithe, the principles God lays out here is that you must give back to him the first fruits of what he has given you. And you should give proportionally to what you have received. 
You will remember that Christ commanded the poor widow who put two pennies more than those who put in large sums because she gave all she had. Proportionally, she gave far more than anyone else. You know, if you do not give faithfully, it is appalling. It raises the question, do you fear the Lord? Do you recognize the Lord as the giver of all things? Do you appreciate the gift he has given you in his son, Jesus Christ? God teaches us that one of the most basic ways that you can show that you hold him in high regard, that you trust him to provide for your needs, that you are thankful for the gift of his grace, is by giving him the best and the first of what he has given you. You need to do this, brothers and sisters. And if you don't know where your money is going to come from, do not forget his promises. He is our father, and he has promised to take care of us. And you should understand that it's not as if the church or the poor need your money. God has this whole world in his hands. If you don't give, God has a multiple of other ways to provide for his church and for the poor. You see that in our midst, for every year the church has met or exceeded its budget. We have also been able to give a significant amount of money to various needy people and charitable organizations. If you don't give to the Lord or the poor, the only person that suffers is you. The Lord will not bless those who do not fear or acknowledge him. Poverty comes to the man who withholds unduly. This shows how much we need God's grace. The Lord will forgive us this sin if we ask him. He will not hold it against us, but will look on us in mercy if we ask. And for Christ's sake, he will also renew us with his spirit and equip us to joyfully give to him and the poor. And then the scriptures say that the wonderful gift we will receive is that the Lord will bless us. Solomon reflects on that in a text we looked at earlier. Again, Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10, where he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Those who honor the Lord will find that they have plenty of food and wine. It's the same in Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. One man gives freely, yet, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The man who gives freely gains even more. The one who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Or again in Proverbs 19, verse 17, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. This is the pattern the scriptures give to us. You generally do not suffer for giving God your first fruits, nor for being generous in your dealings with others. That's actually something God addressed already when he commanded his people to give their first fruits. In Deuteronomy 26, God commands his people that after they had given him their first fruits, they may come to him and ask him for a blessing. A few chapters later, he tells them that faithfulness to his covenant will lead to material blessing. If they obey his covenant, they will receive flocks and herds, food and drink, peace and safety. Now some people have some questions about this. Does that mean if you are faithful in giving your first fruits, you will become wealthy? Does it mean that everyone who is wealthy has been faithful in giving, or everyone who is poor 
hasn't been faithful? That's a good question. It's a prosperity gospel that you hear prevalent in today. In order to answer that question, we should note that God never says that the only people who are wealthy are the righteous, and the only people who are poor are the wicked. Wealth can be as much a curse as it is a blessing. That's why, for example, Agur prays in Proverbs 30 that God gives him neither wealth nor poverty, but just his daily bread. We should also note that in the Old Testament, the blessings that God promised his people for faithfulness are often, are often physical, material things. He promised Abraham a child. He promised the Israelites the land of Canaan. He promised the faithful blessings on their crops and on their herds. And it's also striking that in this regard, when we get to the New Testament, the promises of God are also, are often not focused on the material things, but on the spiritual blessings of Christ. The major blessings that God talks about giving his people in the New Testament are things like peace, joy, faith in Christ, salvation, contentment, and hope. It's very striking in this regard to consider 2 Corinthians 9. In that passage, God calls his people in Corinth to give generously of the wealth he has given them, just as the Macedonians were generous. And he also tells how we will bless those who do so, how he will bless those who do so. What does he say? 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that in all, all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts for the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's striking that even though he still uses language like seed and harvest or being rich and generous, it's not only limited to material things. God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. God talks about his grace being given to you. Grace refers in the first place to God's undeserved mercy in Christ, not material things and through this grace you will abound in every good work a little later it says that you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion not just materially but in every way rich in love and mercy rich in hospitality and empathy rich in showing grace rich in showing kindness the pattern of the old testament is often still there brothers and sisters not always, but it often happens that those who are faithful in giving to the Lord and generous to the poor are blessed with material blessings. But that's not the only way God blesses people. More wonderfully, the, God, the Lord grants his people the spiritual blessings of Christ. He grants faith, hope, love, peace, joy, contentment, and salvation. We should also note that God's blessings or curse often do not come down immediately. Psalm 73, for example, teaches us that God's timetable is often much different than our own. It is only in the end that the meek inherit the earth, 
and that the wickedness of the ungodly becomes their undoing. So we cannot put God on our timetable. Your father loves to give you these things, brothers and sisters. So be faithful in what he has entrusted to you. And then you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let's ask God to make this a reality in our lives through the work of our Savior. Amen.